Um, I just want to take just a kind of a brief moment uh, in time this morning to go over kind of one of the reasons why we show up on Sunday mornings, why the church is the church, why, why we, you know, come together, you know, why do we have worship, you know, why do we spend the time that we do in preparing set lists, um, why is the AC on, you know, why, why do we do all of these things? Because surely the body of Christ is more important than just meeting an hour once a week. Hopefully, surely there's something more going on with, with our congregation uh, than just opportunities to sing, opportunities to sit there and listen to, to someone that can get long-winded talk week after week after week. Um, but kind of to understand the reason why the church is special, we have to kind of take a look at the culture that the church was born into. Um, so uh, starting off like in, uh, in old Israeli history, um, we see when uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt, showed up at Mount Sinai, God at that point in time started talking to the Israelites, won't you be a separate people? Won't you come out from all the other nations? Won't you serve me, just me? Hey, won't you be separate? Won't you come out? Won't you be separate? Hey, could you be separate? Could you be different? Um, but like us, sometimes the Israelites had a little bit of a problem with obedience um, not that we have a problem with obedience. That's other people out there that um, have, a, have an issue with uh, doing what, what we're asked to do. Um, so they spent most of their history disobeying. They spent most of their history intermingling with the cultures that were around them. Um, and one of the stinky things about that is they got caught up in a lot of idolatry. Um, they started worshiping tree stumps. They had the God. They actually found the right God. And they gave up the worship of the God for the worship of tree stumps, um, which I'm sure at the time seemed like a good idea, but in retrospect, uh, it was kind of a bad idea. So they had, they had poured their hearts into idolatry for so many years that eventually God just kind of sent an eviction notice and said, hey, you know, we, we, need, we need a time out. And so what happened, Babylon invaded Israel and captured Israel, and they were in Babylonian slavery for 70 years. Well, after 70 years, uh, they came back out, and from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, to the time of Jesus, they said, we have learned our lesson. You know, God, if you wanted us to be separate, we will be the most separate group of people that the world has ever seen. There will be nobody that will ever be more separate than us. Um, and so they, they began this fierce dedication to the letter of the law. They they have this uh, obsessive quality about making sure that every, every T is crossed, every I is dotted. Um, and we see in uh, Jesus' ministry that they kind of missed the, um, the big picture on that. But you can tell why they started doing that, why they became so fiercely uh, separated. Because God said, hey, be separate, be separate, be separate. Okay, if you're not going to be separate, we're going to put you in time out for 70 years. They said, we've learned our lesson. Um, so in, it's in the middle of this culture that Jesus walks on the scene. We have Rome that has surrounded, basically enslaved, uh, the Israelite nation. But they are remaining a separate community inside of Rome. Um, so Jesus pops on the scene. He walks around. He teaches uh, for uh, 33 years. He upsets the natural world because he walks around. And when he goes to a funeral, sometimes... They had a hard time keeping the, the funeral going because he just ruined it. And, you know, he would walk by sick people, and sick people would be made well. He would walk by people that had horrendous self-images, 
people that had believed the lie of the enemy that they were worthless, that there was nothing within them worth loving, and just random encounters from Jesus spoiled every bit of that. He upset the kingdom of this world by just sneakily releasing God's kingdom into this world. Well, at the end of 33 years, he took this perfect sacrifice. Now imagine if he had lived 80 years, how much change he could have, uh, could have done in the world. But at the end of 33 years, he took this perfect life and gave it over as a sacrifice. Um, the gospel is that my mistakes, my failures, my shortcomings knock me out of the running to get into heaven. And that's awful. And so he came on the scene and said, tell you what, I'll die the death that you were supposed to die and you live the life that I could have lived. And so that's, that's the nature of the gospel. Um, but the, you know, kind of his 12 bros <laughs> were around him. They were kind of the first group of people that got to experience what that new life was. He died as a sacrifice, rose again, and because of that, we get to live this new Christian life. So you had a group of random believers in the middle of Israel that got to experience this new life. Well, one of the great things is that he wasn't finished there. He had something a little bit bigger in mind. And uh, starting in Acts 2, we're just kind of going to walk through a few uh, chapters in Acts and look at why the church got born, uh, what happened when the church got born. And so Acts 2, I'm sure, you know, at least half the room, everybody's like, ooh, Acts 2. Um, so all these random believers, Jesus' inner core uh, was sitting in an upper room, and then all of a sudden, in prayer, uh, something a little dramatic happened. You know, the Holy Spirit fell onto the earth for the first time uh, in, in thousands of years in fire. Incredible, powerful uh, move of God, and the people that were experiencing this incredibly powerful move of God had a bit of a strange reaction. Uh, they started speaking in tongues. Um, which I'm sure was a, a shock to them. Um, and their actual physical bodies, you know, they, they had a hard time keeping it together. Uh, we were going to, I say we, I went to Walmart last night, and I was just driving around, uh, kind of praying, um, just kind of thinking and meditating on how much God loves me. Out of all the, the universe, he picked me. And I just got wrecked. <laughs> I'm sitting in, in the car. I'm like, Justin? Put it together, man. You've got to go into Walmart. And usually, you know, you can, you can get a little wild in Walmart and not really be noticeable. Um, but I'm like, come on, you know, get, dry it up, dry it up. So imagine that just times a billion. And so the, the people that were in the upper room come spilling out of the upper room into the streets. Um, and in verse uh, 13, we see the crowd's uh, reaction. So this is Acts 2.13. said, but the others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying that they're just drunk. That's it. Then Peter stepped forward uh, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as you're assuming, because 9 o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now, you see... Nice. Now, you see, uh, this was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see vision, visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And so in the middle of this chaotic scene, um, everyone's saying, oh, you know, these are a bunch of, just a bunch of drunk guys. 
Peter says, no, 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 this was, this was a fulfillment of a prophecy. In the last days, God will pour his spirit out on all people. And from that time on, we see the birth of the church. And we see an explosion of what the gospel does in the lives of unbelievers. Um, miracles started uh, going off left and right. You know, People would get up off their deathbeds. People that, that were dying and going to hell stopped dying and stopped going to hell and started living and living towards heaven. Um, so there, there was an incredibly powerful gospel that took place in Jerusalem, but unfortunately that powerful gospel kind of remained a powerfully Jewish gospel. And it stayed inside the, the community of believers that it started with. Um, the, the early Christians kept on going to the temple. They kept on going to the, to the synagogues to preach. Um, and we, we see miracles. We see you know, miracles left and right everywhere that the gospel went. Um, but if uh, you've had a relationship with God for any amount of time at all, you know how much he loves upsetting the apple cart. And so we see, you know, God pour his spirit out on all people and it didn't get poured out on all people. And so he's just waiting in heaven and the gospel explodes in the Jewish community. He says, well, just wait. Um, so one day there's this guy named Cornelius and he's hanging out at his house, and he's not Jewish. He's a Gentile unbeliever, uh, but he feared God. You know, he wasn't a convert to Judaism, but he knew that there was something important about uh, who the Jews believed. Well, all of a sudden, an angel pops up on the scene. You know, so he's doing whatever Cornelius did, and then an angel pops up out of nowhere and says, hey, you need to look up this guy named Peter um, and bring him to your house. So Cornelius sent messengers uh, to the city that the angel told him about. And so the next day, Peter is on his roof praying, like you do, you guys pray on your roof, right? Um, so Peter's on his roof praying, and all of a sudden he gets this vision. He falls into a trance, and he has this vision of a sheep being let down from heaven, full of unclean animals, and this voice thunders out, says, rise, kill, and eat. Which to any good southern boy, it's amen. That's a word of the Lord. <laughs> but to Peter, you know, he's a good Jewish boy. He said, you know, God, that's, those are unclean animals. And my mouth has never touched an unclean animal. Um, and then in verse 15, this is Acts 10, 15, says, the voice spoke again saying, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And he heard this three times. Then all of a sudden the sheet would get let down and he went through this big thing three times. And it said, after that, Peter stood there puzzled, which makes me feel better that when God talks to Peter, he was confused too because um, you might not be like this, but sometimes God can talk to me, and it's like, I have no idea what that means. Um, so if you're like that, you're not alone. Peter was like that too. Um, so Peter's sitting there clueless. Cornelius' messengers show up, and then God said, you need to go with these guys. So Peter, the next day, uh, starts going with, uh, with Cornelius' messengers, walks into Cornelius' home, and starts meeting with him. Now imagine, like, he has just kind of gotten in the front gate. You know, Peter's guys are meeting with Cornelius' guys, and Peter is just kind of recounting casually how his life was with Jesus. Like he is not in a pulpit, he doesn't have a tie on, he's not going, you know, through these big uh, teaching sessions. He is casually explaining the gospel inside someone's house. Um, and then something kind of weird starts happening. So at, in the middle of Peter speaking, um, I guess God said, okay, Peter, you've been a bit long-winded, I'm going to take over from here. Um, and the spirit fell on Cornelius' household, Gentile unbelievers, the same way that it had fallen on, uh, on the, the crew that was in the upper room in Acts 2. Well, Peter didn't really want this to happen. 
like the service got away from him. Have you ever been in a service that kind of gets away um, and God kind of pulls the reins? Well, when Peter walks in, I love this. Peter walks into Cornelius' house, and one of the first things that he says, he says, you know that it's against our laws for me to be around you, right? But God has shown me that I'm not supposed to call something unclean uh, that he's called clean. Um, and then on, verse, or on down in verse 34, he says that I have clearly seen that God shows no favoritism. So while he's explaining the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on the, the Gentile, uh, I guess, new believers, um, and in uh, Acts 10, four, starting in 44, it says, Even when Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all those that were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed at the gift that the Holy Spirit um, had poured out uh, among the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. The Spirit fell on unclean barbarians. And this event right here was the very first uh, bad church business meeting. Because news of this got back to Jerusalem. And so when Peter showed up back at Jerusalem, they called him out on the carpet uh, for it. You know, the word says that the believers in Jerusalem begin to criticize Peter for associating with Gentiles. And then so Peter had to stand up and say, no, 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 no. God picked these people. I didn't pick these people. God picked these people. He poured his spirit out on them just the same way he did us. And when he shared the testimony their offense stopped, and which, this is a side note, and this is going to be free. Um, if you've ever been offended in the last five minutes or in the last uh, morning, you know how much momentum there is with offense. And once you get your feelings hurt, it is really hard to get them unhurt. Um, but we see here, Peter shares a testimony of what God did, and it stopped the people's offense in its tracks, which is a miracle in and of itself. Um, in uh, Acts eleven eighteen, it says, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Meanwhile, me, uh, believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. Verse 20, however... Some of the believers who went out from Antioch, uh, or went out to Antioch from Cyprus uh, and Cyrene, began to preach to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. Verse twenty-one, and the power of the Lord was with them, and large numbers of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So you had kind of status quo. You had you know the believers preaching to other Jewish um, people and them coming into the kingdom, but you had a few of the believers who said, wait a second, God's vision for this thing is bigger than what we've been thinking. And they start turning to the Gentile unbelievers, and the Lord was powerfully with those people. And large numbers started coming into the kingdom. Miracles, signs, and wonders started happening with the Gentile uh, uh, church as it started going. But unfortunately, you kind of see this classism get cut right in the middle of the church for years. Um, it was the reason why they had a, their first Jerusalem council all the elders, all the leadership in the church had to get together and figure out what to do with the Gentile unbelievers because no one had a contingency plan for people getting saved. No one had an idea of what to do when people were coming into the kingdom that looked different than everybody else, that didn't obey the same laws and same rules as everybody else. Um, the, the believers, the, the, there was a group of believers uh, that would go around and preach the gospel. 
you know, some of them were apostles and then some of them just, you know, were, were evangelists that went out into the communities. Well, the gospel would spread into an area. But unfortunately, there was a group of people called the Judaizers that would follow the gospel wherever it went and said, okay, well, you've converted to Christianity, and that's incredible. You have started this life with God, but for your faith to be made complete, we need you to also convert to Judaism too. And they would start undermining what the gospel of grace was about. And they said, you need to now follow all these rules and regulations. And this caused no end to the amount of headaches and frustration to Paul and the rest of the apostles because they would preach the gospel, go around to a different city, and then when they came back, they had to re-preach the gospel again. They had to, to try to teach out um, this junk doctrine that, that would creep in. And I just want to spend a little bit of time read a few verses in uh, Galatians and uh, Ephesians. This is Galatians 3. Um, in Galatians, Paul is talking to uh, Jewish converts to Christianity, um, and we can kind of see how he phrases, uh, phrases things. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Um, this is verse 24, uh, Galatians 3.24. Let me put this a different way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For you all are children of God through faith in Christ Jesus and have been made united with Christ in baptism and have put on Christ as putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are two children of Abraham and you are his heirs and, the, and God's promise to Abraham now belongs to you. And so Paul is trying to speak into this church and saying, hey, you need to remove these lines of division. You need to remove the reason why you guys sit on one side of the room and the Gentile believers sit on the other side of the room. You need to stop all the, the divisions and the class warfare that you've got um, established. And on, in Ephesians, this is Ephesians uh, 2, starting in verse 14. It says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now, this is to the Gentile believers. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the old system of law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. Our hostility towards each other was put to death. Why? Because he's removed all differences between us. In verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. First uh, Peter says that we are built up like living stones. Uh, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus. I'm sorry. Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of the dwelling where God lives uh, by his spirit. And so what we see is this classism that had separated the church. In the church, you had 
Jewish churches and then you had Gentile churches. And every once in a while, you'd have a church that, that all met together and there was no end to the chaos that happened. You can read through uh, 1 Corinthians and you could see that um, the Gentile believers weren't even served communion. Like they, they wouldn't even let the, the Gentile believers uh, take communion. And Paul had to step up and said, hey, when you guys show up, you need to wait for all of your brothers and sisters to show up with you. And it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, some of this is still present today. And so why the big history lesson? You know, why talk about, you know, well, way back when there was Jewish division of a church and then there was a Gentile division of the church. Well, what happens if some of that is still present today? You know, let's just imagine just for a moment, I know it'll be hard that we're not perfect. I know it's hard, but just, you know, hypothetically speaking, what happens if the enemy can slip behind our defenses and erect these divisions in our lives? What happens if there's still hints of racism floating around in our heart? You know, not only to the African-American community, but what about the Hispanic community? You know, how often have you driven by a Hispanic uh, community and allowed the flare of racism to come up in your heart? How about the Middle Eastern community that we have in Cookville? Do we divide along political party lines? No, of course not. Has my ability to, to fellowship with a brother ended because I can't agree with what he wants done with taxes? How about economic lines? Do we divide among ec economic lines? You know, and this is something that I think that Church on the Hill does incredibly well. I, th I think that this is something that, that, that we got going pretty, pretty good. Um, you know, we hear reports all the time about how warm and loving and accepting this body of believers is. And it's honestly the thing that opened up the door to the gospel in my heart is because someone in this church reached out and loved me when I didn't even know that that was a possibility. So this isn't something like Church on the Hill, if you can just get your act together and start loving on people. That's not what this is. But maybe there are hints of things in our hearts that keep us separated. Are there prejudices? Is there anything that makes us standoffish? How about divisions of hygiene? How often have you avoided someone in Walmart just because they haven't had access to a shower in a few days? You know, it's a whole lot easier to talk to someone without dirt on their face. Do you avoid the unpopular? Do you avoid the popular? You know, we can't get any closer to the heart of the matter than this right here. All the other stuff that we talk about hangs on our ability to do this right here. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. And there is no division inside the body of Christ. There is unity in the body of Christ. And you know what? That's why we're here. We're here to be representative of God's love to the world. We are the world's object lesson of what Christianity should be. We are the object lesson of the gospel. And I promise you there is no powerful force of evangelism greater than the love that exists right here. No amazing speaker, no amazing worship, not one special color change light can ever bring someone to the gospel quicker than you just loving on the person that's sitting next to you. So, but what happens if there's divisions in this room? You know, we're called to love at all times, at all costs. 
And it's something we can't fake. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't fake this. We can't afford to fake it. Um, in the South, we, we do kind of have a tendency of, oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? Oh, that's incredible. How's your kids? Oh, that's great. Oh, I cannot believe, you know. Like we can put on a pretty good mask in front of someone for, for the time being, but God's calling us to a higher standard of we can't fake love anymore. What happens if, if we ask the Lord, just like David did, said, Lord, search my heart and know me. Is there any area of uncleanness in my heart? Well, what happens if he finds one? What happens if I say, God, you know, is there a racial, racial bone in my body? And he goes, yeah. Uh, no, no, of course not. You know, God, do I look down on people that make less money than me? What happens if he goes, yes, you do? Usually we're not prepared to handle that. Well, I promise you, if he puts his finger on something, if you have divided yourself from another group of believers and he puts his finger on that, the answer is to not try to force your way into it. The answer is to not tolerate them with nice words. The answer is not to force yourself into a handshake with somebody. It takes the Holy Spirit to be able to love effectively. And we've got to do this right. We can't put the cart before the horse. We can't act like we're loving each other without actually having love. But I promise if you get the love down, all that stuff will naturally flow out. Uh, we live in a hostile kingdom. And we can rest assured that the enemy is going to try to divide us. So all of these divisions are either relics of an inferior covenant that used to be on the earth, a covenant that I don't have to obey anymore. I don't have to be separate. I don't have to be divided from someone on the other side of the room. Or there are attacks and lies from an enemy kingdom. So let's not be ignorant of what the enemy's up to, and let's fight the temptation to turn our love off. Like, have you ever felt that in your heart, that you've got this love switch? It's like, okay. You're talking about stuff that really makes me want to just turn that love switch off and get frustrated with you. We need the Holy Spirit to pour out that love. And the great thing is that he has already promised that he has poured that love in our hearts. It's already there. It is in our tool shed. Everything that we could ever need to love on the people around us is here. It's present. We can use it. But we need the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes to be able to see what he's already poured in our hearts. So let's just take a moment and go before the Lord. Say, Father, we, we ask, just like David did, that you would search our hearts right here, right now. Father, highlight the walls of racism, Father. Father, highlight the walls of classism, God. Not any reason that I hold a brother or sister at arm's length, God, Pray that you would bring that up right now, God. And we just ask for your grace and your mercy to cover, Lord. God, I don't know that we can even promise to do better, God. We need you to change us from the inside out, Lord. So, Father, we ask for an outpouring of love on Church on the Hill right now, Lord, today. Father, in families that, that are divided, that are pushing each other apart. God, we ask that your love would come in and coat like a salve, Lord. Father, every wall of racism, God, we ask that you would pull that down in the Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we need your help. Search me and know me. Tell me where I'm building dividing walls. 
is his name. If uh, my uh, ministry team could go ahead and come forward, we want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you could go ahead and stand up. You know, we're here for you. You know, if you're going through a time in life that you kind of feel that your world's falling apart, you've got sickness in your body, uh, sickness in mental or emotional health, we want to be here to, to pray for you and to lift you up. But one of the greatest ways to fix this problem right here is to cross an aisle. It's not necessarily to come up and get prayer, prayer, prayer for this. If you've got walls of racism in your heart, won't you cross an aisle and apologize? If you've got walls of classism in your heart, won't you go cross an aisle and apologize and restore fellowship? Because I promise when we get together, and we can always do better. I think that we do awesome. I think we're amazing at this. But we can always do better. And the better we do at loving here, the better the gospel does at working in Walmart, in your job. The gospel does a better job at the fair when we've got this love right. When we don't get frustrated um, at the other church down the street. Well, that's something there, isn't it? We don't think ourselves better than, you know, the, the little small Church of Christ church on the corner. Just because they don't have, you know, bright lights and they don't have an awesome sound system. So, Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would, uh, you would meet with us, God. Meet with us sitting in the pew. Meet with us as we cross an aisle. Uh, meet with us as we, as we come up and receive prayer. Jesus, and you can come up as we uh, spend a little bit of time in ministry.